You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. I got a question for you. How old are you going to be when you pay your house off? Really think about that. How many house payments do you have left on your mortgage? Most people don't know the answer to those type of questions, but they know about their car. Isn't that a little weird? Like, oh, I've got five car payments left, or oh, I've got six car payments left. Why do we not know when we're going to pay off our biggest piece of debt? Most people have just gotten used to living without that money. It just gets drafted right out of their bank account, and they can't imagine their life without a mortgage payment. That's my goal for you to let you realize the real American dream. No, not Dusty Rhodes, but home ownership. And I'm talking about real home ownership, debt free. Let's help you pay your house off faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. But my concern is if you don't know how many payments you have left, you might not have done enough planning. I routinely field calls from folks who are say 50 years old and they say, well, I want the cheapest payment I can get. I get that. But man, how are you going to make house payments when you're 79 and 80 years old? Like if, when do you want to retire? Do you want to retire at 62, 65? Are you setting yourself up for the work forever plan? My goal is to get you out of debt and do it faster with cheaper monthly payments. And that sounds too good to be true. But if you've got other consumer debt, like credit cards and car loans and things like that, first of all, the interest you pay on that stuff is not tax deductible. The interest you pay on your mortgage is. And in addition to that, most of your credit card debt is going to be north of 20%. So if you could pay back your debt at a cheaper rate and at a greater tax deduction, and by consolidating all of this debt, instead of having a house payment for the next 30 years, what if you had one for just 15? If you could pay your house off before your kids went to college, wouldn't that make their life easier? I mean, they're less likely to get stuck with student loans, right? Find out how easy it is to get out of debt when you talk to us at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket, but you need to take this seriously. Spend a few minutes with us right now. We won't waste your time if we can't save you money. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved and we're licensed in more than 40 states. So why wouldn't you do this? at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh, by the way, no house payments for two months. SaveWithConrad.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Orn, only on Westwood One. And of course, the man of the hour is the Hall of Famer himself, the founder of the Four Horsemen, Double A, the enforcer himself, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Doing good. It's Tuesday. You know what that means? It means it's time for hashtag Ask Arn Anything. Every other week, we let you guys jump in the driver's seat and ask some questions. But I'm going to start. Have you got your Valentine's Day figured out? If not, here's a life hack for you. Go to IHateStevenSinger.com and starting at just 59 bucks, you can give the perfect Valentine's Day gift ever 
Picture this, a real long stem American beauty rose that's been lavishly and deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold. You never need to water this thing. It'll never wilt. It'll never die. It's unique. It's special. It lasts forever. It even comes with your own personalized love note and it's shipped for free starting at just $59. This sounds too good to be true, but go take a look at them right now. at I hate Steven singer.com. And without further ado, let's get into it. Arn lots of questions. If you want to ask a question two weeks from now, we'll be doing another hashtag ask Arn anything. And the only way to participate is to follow us on Twitter at the Arn show. Uh, so just follow us there at the Arn show. And uh, look for those posts saying, Hey, got a question for Arn reply here. So let's get to it. We've been fighting about this for a while now. Paul diamond writes, we've heard Arn talk about his favorites from Whataburger and waffle house, but what's the enforcer's favorite meal that his wife makes. I don't think we've put Aaron's cooking over enough here on the show. What's double A's go to. Well, you know, it's going to take two hours for me to cover all this. There's, there's no one dish. Uh, her her mom was an incredible cook, and she passed some of that knowledge down, obviously, to my wife. Thank God. I would have to say it's either oven fried chicken or country style steak and gravy over rice. Yeah, you've you've told me about that one before, so I, I'm going to guess that's probably your sleeper pick right there. Yeah, it's awesome. Let's get to David Levy's question. He wants to know who were Aaron's favorite and least a favorite enhancement opponents to work with during the Techwood studio taping days. Uh, that's a fun question. We've heard a lot about guys like George South. And of course, a lot of our older listeners remember the Mulkey mania, uh, chat me up. Who are your favorite enhancement talents to work with? Well, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to remember names. But uh, I would say my favorites were guys that knew why they were there, um, were thrilled to be there, that had some experience, that uh, knew what their job description was that particular day, and uh, went out and did their best to do exactly what you wanted of them. And uh, that would be my favorites. Uh, my least favorites, again, you know, it's hard to remember names, but guys that were A, either there for their own agenda, which was occasionally guys would want to go out and, uh, try you a little bit. Was it, it was rare. And, uh, those guys that wanted to get their stuff in, that was, uh, another situation. And basically just those guys that thought they, Hey, I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to look good. And, uh, no matter what. So, you know, the names, obviously I can't remember, but, that is the criteria that made you favorite or least favorite. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving here because this is something, you know, I've never talked about. I have a feeling what your answer is going to be, but I'm still dying to hear it. James wants to know how did Arn feel about stone cold, Steve Austin walking out of the WWE back in the day. So of course, to catch up some of our listeners who maybe don't connect the dots, uh, stone cold was, uh, in a weird spot creatively, not exactly happy with what was happening with his character. Got the heads up after doing a, a house show with uh, Ric Flair in a cage match that, hey, tomorrow night on Raw, Brock Lesnar is going to beat you. And Brock was just now coming onto the scene. He's the new big monster. 
Austin was not happy with that creative, especially when he said, why I'm wondering, why are we doing this here instead of a big pay-per-view and instead of, uh, going and doing that, he just went home. What did Arn think? Well, a lot of things, obviously. Number one, uh, you gotta know how to control your business when you're in this industry. Uh, you gotta know, you know, when it's time to say no. And that only comes around every so often. And a guy like Austin was in a position that when something appeared that he didn't feel was a business decision, and that's the way he operated. Every time I was ever around him, it was strictly business. If it was a match that was going to be a throwaway and you weren't going to get your mileage out of it, I could certainly see him balking at it. Um, and I think in that particular time frame, uh, Brock hadn't been built properly. The angle hadn't been built. It would have been a throwaway. Um, and it would have been one of those situations. You only get a first time match once you can never go back and get it again. It's not that special. Um, the second time around. Um, so I think Steve decided he was going to, you know, draw a line in the sand and he did, and he was able to get away with it because he was Steve Austin and one of the biggest stars this business will ever see. So, you know, you got to know there's a there's a point in time in every guy's career when you need to say no. Something's just not right, and uh, it's not right for business, number one, and you need to put it in that order. It's not right for the talent involved. He made that decision. He went home, and I respect him for it. Let's keep it going and talk about a more modern thing. Skibo wants to know, what do you think of the camera work in WWE, the quick close-ups, the zoom outs, the camera changes during impact of a maneuver, all of it drives me crazy. Um, I've been told that after the switch to HD happened, uh, they really started to double down on the cutaways during impact because they felt like maybe too much of the magic was being revealed. Uh, so if you switch to another shot. You uh, sort of protect the magic, if that makes sense. What do you think of the camera work and how it's evolved over time? Well, that, that's that's the goal. The goal is to protect the talent and, uh, you know, in everything they do. You know, one of the things that was discovered when we went to HD is it's like you could see every pimple on every butt. You could see every little bit of grease in somebody's hair, whether it was intended to be there or not. Cosmetically, it it jumped through the camera to the audience. Everything about your look. And uh, obviously, the physicality fell right in line with that. You know, you needed to be solid, number one, in everything you did, just to, because that's the way it should be, but... A lot of people were getting, you know, uh, some things exposed about themselves cosmetically, physically, and every other thing you can think of with the HD. So, you know, you look, the show looks like a million trillion dollars. It's crystal clear. It's, it's awesome. But you see every little flaw, and uh, that's just a hazard of HD. 
So the, uh, the, the cutaways and the zoom outs, does it bother you or, or do you get it? I mean, is it just evolution of technology more so than just Vince and Kevin's taste? Well, it gets a little busy sometimes. Sometimes there's cutaways where you don't need cutaways and that's purely anticipation. And that's the call of, of the guy in the truck that's, that's in charge. You know, sometimes it just gets a little bit busy on cutting away from something and, and maybe you end up missing something that you would have been just fine as it was. Um, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other, uh, as far as that, uh, particular thing. I just thought it was the evolution of the business and, and it was. Dustin has a tremendous question. He says, what did you think of Hulk Hogan turning heel at bash at the beach, 1996? Well, Dustin, I was like everybody else. It was uh, shock and awe. You never thought you'd see it. Of course, none of us had any idea of how big it would blow up and uh, just how hot it would get. And uh, the NWO thing you know, having Hulk Hogan as a heel, it was one of those things you thought you'd never see. And I don't think a lot of people even wished for that to happen. It was just one of those things. You just went, wow, never saw that coming. And, um, you know, as it turned out, it was a, a, a tool in the Monday Night Wars that allowed WCW to compete, not only compete, but kick ass. So it was the right thing to do, and uh, it was just pretty shocking when it occurred. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's 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 even cool to hear that you know the guys in the business felt the same way as as we did. <clears throat> Hoop, great friend of the show, writes in. Most kids who loved wrestling picture themselves as a character and even give themselves a wrestling name as a kid. When you were starting your wrestling career, did you have a ring name that you envisioned before you were the enforcer, Arn Anderson? Not, not a name. I just, uh, I had a style, you know, I wanted to be Dick Slater. Um, I just loved the way he wrestled, the excitement that he brought Bob Orton Jr. Same thing. I just, just, that's who I wanted to be. Those guys were legitimate bad guys. They were talented. They were skilled. They could talk. They were smart asses. They were all those things that teenage kids idolize. And uh, I didn't have a name for myself. I just said, I want to be one of the bad guys. I want to be like those guys. Stoner Dale has a question that really dovetails nicely into that. Who was Arn's favorite wrestler of all time, past or present? So not just guys you grew up watching. But all time, is there somebody, if, if they said, all right, Arn, you're going to have to sit down and watch two hours of this best of DVD and you tell us who it is and we'll press play. Whose matches is that going to be? Oh God, that's almost impossible to, to say, but I will say this, um, the match that I could watch time after time would probably be the Midnight Express against the Rock and Roll Express. I knew you were going to say that. You know, it's just, you go back and you watch it, everybody knew where to be 
for every moment of that match. And they switched it up every time you saw it to where it was a different match. That's how creative those guys were. And that's how talented those guys were. And you could sit and you could watch two hours. You could watch five matches that made up that two hours or six matches or whatever it was. And I guarantee you, every one of them would be different. That's what made you fun to watch in those days. That's what allowed you to draw money is because every time people saw you, they saw something different and they saw something that was quality and that was quality. Fascinating question here from Alan Smithy. Uh, we're going to cover this show with, uh, Jim Ross two days from now. So, uh, tune in for that. But his question is what was the backstage reaction to McMahon blowing out both of his quads at Royal rumble, 2005 laughter, concern, both as a reminder, uh, there was a snafu at the end of the Royal rumble, 2005, Batista was supposed to hang on. Uh, John Cena was supposed to land before him. They land at the exact same time. So they're giving orders to the referees from gorilla, have the SmackDown referees raise this guy's hand, have the raw referees raise their guy's hand. Vince is going to come in call an audible, say, restart the match. He goes to leap in the ring, tears a quad, tries to power through and no sell it. Walking back through the curtain. He tears the other quad. It is almost Murphy's law at that point. And it feels like something out of a, a, a movie, a bad comedy movie, but this is not the way people have seen Vince McMahon. You were there. What do you remember of the, of the incident? Well, it was chaos because we were having to call things on the fly. The human being in you wanted to go down and help the guy, you know, our first, our first inclination is you want to go down. I mean, one of the guys is hurt. If you wish that on anybody, you're not much of a human being. And everyone was concerned that it was a serious injury. You knew it was a serious injury. Um, I don't think anybody, I'm, I'm sure there were some people that took solace in that and, and actually enjoyed it. I wasn't one of them. I just don't enjoy seeing any talent get hurt in any fashion because it can happen at any time. It can be career altering. It can be life altering for that matter. And, uh, it was chaos. Things were being called on the fly. Uh, thank God, you know, cooler heads prevailed and they were able to get through it. But yeah, it was, a, it was a mess. No doubt about it. Uh, let's keep it rolling. An interesting question here about James or from James Williams about Mr. Kennedy. Why do you think Mr. Kennedy never made it all the way to the top of WWE? He had the charisma. His work was good, but the rumor and innuendo was he had heat backstage. What do you remember about Mr. Kennedy? Well, I remember he was talented. Guy was very talented and, uh, he had a unique deal with the old school, Mike dropping and announcing himself. And he was a good performer, you know, looked good, could work, could talk. Yeah. You know, he had everything. Uh, something I'm not privy to did happen backstage with some other talent. And I know that the office went South as far as he was concerned, their feelings for him and the way they were going to use him. And I know that something occurred. I'm not sure what that was, so I can't even comment on it, but 
I mean, he, he had a pretty successful career up until that point. And then, you know, as it were, something happened and, uh, and his water got cut off and I'm not sure what that was, but the guy was a, a good, very good performer in every aspect. Adam Parsons writes who currently in AEW do you feel like could become a crossover Hollywood star like John Cena has become? Oh gosh. I'm just trying to look at them in, in a wrestler light right now and analyze them because I haven't seen these guys and I'm just getting to know them. Um, I know one that, uh, I think is going to get over in time is going to be Luchasaurus, believe it or not. No, I don't think there's any doubt of that. He's got a great look. Uh, he's already been on some reality shows, so he's got a little bit of, uh, uh, of, uh, entertainment buzz from that side. No surprise. Well, and he, you look at him and if you, I mean, I've looked close up close and from far away, you know, that's things that nightmares are made of. He's got it. That, that gimmick, he looks incredible. He does look like a monster and you don't, you know, most stuff you see these days is, is not quite up to par or it's a little hokey or it's a little this or a little that. He comes across as a real life monster and he's a big, impressive guy and he's athletic. And, you know, I think, uh, the world is going to be his pearl one of these days. I love you. You've dropped two Arnisms on us. Somebody turned his water off for him and then the world's going to be his pearl. You're on a roll today. Uh, big red six Oh three writes in, uh, you've often spoke about being an agent as part of the office for both WCW and WWE during your career. Was there a specific angle or direction that we can attribute to you? Oh, I had my hands in a lot of stuff, you know, is a there, lot of stuff. Is there one that stands out where you're like, man, I'm pretty proud of that. If I had to show somebody one thing that had my fingerprints on it, it'd probably be this. No, I don't think there is any one thing. It, it was all just, you know, suggestions that were taken and, and, and morphed into angles. One of the things that I think was unique that was my idea that I thought absolutely worked was when the NWO dropped myself and they dropped Ray Mysterio, um, they put us in the same ambulance, if you recall, yeah. to take us to the uh, hospital. And Rick was in there, and I think Sting was in there, and it was – just the uniqueness of two guys healing a baby face had nothing that brought them together except the circumstances of that night being in the same ambulance was a, was a unique situation. And I think it made it real. You know, when two guys would get in the same ambulance, two guys like staying a flare being in there or, I think that was the scenario. It just made it unique and real. And that was my idea. And I thought, you know, it worked. Absolutely. It works. People are still talking about it today. Um, late to the nitro party wants to know who was your favorite quote unquote, big man to wrestle. Oh, big man, I guess would have to be the big show because he is a legitimate giant, but he's a giant 
not in the respect that he has, like Andre was, the giantism, whatever the the thing in your chemical makeup that show is just a seven foot, four hundred pound, totally symmetrical, totally athletic monster. He's just the biggest guy that you ever saw that looks normal, except that he's twice as big as everybody else. And man, is he athletic. And he had it from the very start. I had a match with him when he just started. He hadn't had but a few. And and I got him to trust me and uh, just follow. And we actually had a good match. And uh, of course, I got my ass handed to me, but that was the plan anyway. What what else are you going to do with a giant? But it was uh, one of those things that I thoroughly enjoyed. A guy that big, a guy that was that green could have easily hurt you, crippled you, killed you, killed you off, anything you wanted to do. And I think it it flew, it worked, and uh, it was a pleasant experience and one that, that I'm proud of for both of us. Cardboard Icons writes, we know you're a big Led Zeppelin fan. If you had to choose one Zeppelin song for your entrance theme, what would it be? Stairway to Heaven. Uh, Casey. Awesome. 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 Uh, Casey wants to know any Bob Cook stories. I've heard he used to throw the best punches in the business. Probably as good as anybody, I would say. Bob Cook was a great performer. If you double back to one of your earlier questions about enhancement talent, if if you put Bob in that crew of guys, he was as good as anybody. He should have been working full-time on a crew his entire career. He was not only had a great punch, he was just a great worker. He did everything well. Um, Why he never landed in a company, who knows? Justin Hanna has the question we all want to know. Does Arn doubt L Dandy? Funny thing about L Dandy, we all know who uh, Lou Ferrigno is, right? Yes. Body bodybuilder, yeah. did well, competed with Arnold, right? Absolutely. He looked, L Dandy, he being L Dandy, looked like a tiny Lou Ferrigno. Go back and pull up a picture of him. Especially with the hair. The hair made it. The hair, the face. Yeah. Not the body, but the hair and the face. So I nicknamed him Lee Ferrigno. That was my nickname for El Dandy. Always smiling, whatever you wanted. Good worker. Talking about a guy with another good punch. Great punch. And everybody bought it. He was an excellent performer and a pleasure to be around. The, uh, the joke on the question is... In a, a famous interview with uh, Bret Hart that was being conducted by me and Gene Okerlund, he referenced you know that he was going to take on the big competition and give them title shots and said something like, uh, as he's naming people, I'm doing this from memory, I may have some of it wrong, L. Dandy. And <laughs> Okerlund says, L. Dandy, uh, you know, like he's incredulous that L. Dandy would be uh, an opponent for Bret's world title. And Bret immediately quipped, who are you to doubt L. Dandy? And it's now gone, gone viral in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. So that's the gist of does Arn doubt El Dandy, but you said clearly you do not because he was a hell of a worker. 
No, I do not. And apparently Bret Hart doesn't either. The only one that doubts him is Mean Gene. God bless him. Uh, Paul Wilcoxon has a great question. He says, how do you feel Brock Lesnar would have been booked in the territory days? How big of a must-see attraction could he have been? Sky would have been the limit, I would think. He would have been as big a star as whatever company was smart enough to make him because he is one of those unique entities that only comes along. It's not every decade. It's once in a lifetime. Maybe Brody like Andre, like, like he's going to come in and he's going to draw money, but he's probably not losing and he's going to the next town. Oh, you know what? Because things were, were set up differently and there were more options and there were more, scenarios and I would think he would have been a little more versatile as far as he would have been a guy that you could have beat at some point, but you would have certainly built your company around him. Um, he wouldn't be a guy that had never gotten beaten in years and years and years. And, you know, under the right circumstances, it never hurts anybody to get beat. It just has to be the circumstances need to be plausible and believable. And I just think that He's such a monster, but he's capable of so many things offensively and so many things defensively that he's just such a a world-class athlete in his look and his size and all of those things. I mean, you're talking about a heel that you could have pushed to the moon with your big star sitting over on the other side of the ball waiting on him. He's the guy. Keith Rawson writes, what would you say is one of the most impactful moments in your career? And if you could go back and change anything, what would it be and why? So two part question, is there a big crucial pivotal moment in your career? Do you think that you go back and say, man, everything was different after this? Yeah. When I retired, never getting to wrestle again, never getting to experience, um, what I'd wanted to do my entire life, um, never getting to lace those boots up and, uh, you know, go through the butterflies and the nervousness and the anticipation and looking through the curtain and seeing the place packed out and just all the things that made me want to be a wrestler that night, it changed forever. And, uh, it would never be the same again. And, uh, I had to approach the business from a totally different level, um, find a different way to enjoy and, and uh, be passionate about the options that were left. And thank God I had options that were left. It could have been, there's a lot of guys that get hurt in this industry that just are forced to just walk away because there's no need for them anymore, which is cold and callous and cruel and, but it's just the nature of the business. And uh, I felt very fortunate that I had something to fall back on. Um, and that's the backstage area. If you could go back and change any one thing, is there anything you would change? I don't think so. I had a nice career. I had 15 year career. Um, still having a career. I did something right along the way. And I'm thinking maybe the biggest thing that I did was tell guys the truth. 
David Cleveland writes in, I was fortunate enough to see the enforcer in person at the Greenville Memorial auditorium in 86. What were some of his favorite venues during those JCP years? Oh God, Charlotte, Greenville, Greensboro, Fayetteville, Baltimore. Uh, some of the Florida towns were incredible. Miami, Jacksonville, um, Tampa, it's, uh, Birmingham. I mean, there were Knoxville, Tennessee. There were so many great venues, you know, that uh, they just love wrestling. And uh, I would say the Southeast as a whole, but you go up as far as Philadelphia and Baltimore and those towns, man, they were red hot too. No doubt about it. It's uh, it's a different business. Uh, Day- Dylan wants to know, what was Elizabeth like to work with when she aligned with Flair in WCW? As wrestling fans, we've heard a lot of stories about Elizabeth, uh, but mostly from her WWE days. Not much from the WCW days. By the time you were working with her here in WCW, she and Randy were divorced. Uh, what was she like in the WCW era? Liz was always a lady. She was always very quiet, very demure, very ladylike, easy to do business with, easy to talk to. She was always the same to me, just uh, just a quiet, unassuming lady. Uh, here's another one, and this one is one that uh, is more recent. I'm excited to get your take on from Dermot McCarthy. What are Arn's thoughts on Cassius Ono slash Chris Hero? One of my favorite matches of his was with William Regal in NXT. I think he's woefully underutilized and would have loved to have seen him and Cesaro reform their Kings of Wrestling tag team someday. Of course, that happened on the Independence, and they were ripping it up long before they were in WWE. Chris Hero, for whatever reason, uh, has been uh, with NXT for a long, long time and hasn't got much play on the main roster. Lots of theories as to why you've probably had an opportunity to see his work and maybe know him. What do you think of him as a performer? Well, surprisingly not. I don't know him. I haven't been around him much. Is he still on the NXT roster? I believe so. Yes, sir. The only thing I could think of, two things. If Regal enjoyed working with him, that meant he could work because Regal was incredible. Um, and the guys he would have liked to have worked with would have been guys that could keep up that I know from experience. Um, the only thing that I can think of is the guy is so polished and such a good hand that they want to keep him on the crew. But I go back to, we all know what WWE's first, first criteria is cosmetics. I don't think he's a body guy. I don't think he has those movie star good looks. Uh, I think he's probably just a athletic, solid, probably good performer that you want to have as a utility man on your crew, but you're not necessarily have any plans to make him a star is the only thing. Now, I'm guessing if he's been there that long, though, I think he's valued to an extent. It's just there's a difference on being on the crew and being a star. Well, that's a shame. He's uh, one hell of a wrestler. Haristo writes, did Triple H or Bobby Roode 
ever talk to you about using the spine buster? What's your favorite variation of the spine buster besides your own Ron Simmons, Batista, the rock, they all used them as well. Well, I'm, I'm honored that all those names that you just named would use a variation of it. Um, because I did create it. I used it for a lot of years before anybody came behind me and used a variation of it. And, uh, that's a pretty big names. Uh, ironically, both Hunter and, uh, Bobby Roode at different times did come up to me and went, Hey, I'd really like to use that move. And certainly Hunter was in, in a position to do whatever he wanted. Would you mind if I used your, your spine buster? And I was flattered and honored and by both of those guys. And, uh, certainly Ron Simmons had some torque on it. So did Batista's. And, uh, there are a lot of guys that do my variation scattered around, you know, the rhinos of the world and CW Anderson, I'm sure uses it. I haven't seen him work, but I'm sure he does. And, uh, I'm honored that, that they would think it has enough value to put it in their match. Uh, yeah, I mean, the spine buster is always going to be synonymous with you. Uh, Jay white wants to know, and this is a tremendous question. If Tully doesn't fail the drug test are the brain busters, still the world wrestling federation tag champs. No, because we were already on the way out when that supposedly occurred. He meant like in tongue in cheek, would you still have the belt now in 2020? Cause you guys would have never lost. Cause you were good. It was a compliment. Oh, so I misunderstood that entire. <laughs> He's saying you would still be champion 25, 30 fucking years later. You'd still be the champ. God almighty. Well, that's, that's pretty awesome. But, uh, I think somewhere, somebody along the way would have probably knocked us off. Might not have happened for a couple of years because we were pretty much on a roll at that time. We had our stick down and, uh, I don't think anybody was any better and I didn't see anybody come along, uh, soon after that, there was any better. We might could have had a hell of a run. Who knows? Gustio Windflap wants to know, does Arn have any memories of the friendly tap? That is our friend Tim's joint. Correct. That's right. I heard stories. Be honest with you. I'm not tough enough to go in that place. Um, heard a lot of stories about guys going in and having a few cocktails when they were in the area. Um, and what is Tim's last name? I feel so guilty about not knowing it. White, Tim White. Tim White, a long tenured member of the, uh, WWF, WWE company. I think he might still work for him doing appearances and escorting guys and doing stuff. That was his place, and he always invited us in. Uh, it was just one of those things that when the show was over, we were too busy getting to the next town because that had the, you know, traveling at night up in that northeast. A lot of things could happen during the day. It could be a wreck. There could be construction, any number of things that could really mesh up. So the rule of thumb was when you're in the northeast or California, show was over, get to the next town that night. And that prevented us from going to the tap very, very few times. 
Jim wants to know, was there ever any talks of Arn managing evolution? Of course, evolution being Batista and, uh, Randy Orton, Ric Flair and triple H. A lot of people naturally drew comparisons to the four horsemen, but the four horsemen had a JJ Dillon. Was it ever kicked around that maybe you could be evolutions? JJ never. Nope. That was, uh, you know, they had all the place people in place that they needed. Uh, those guys could talk, uh, you know, certainly Rick, you know, was in a position to take the lead on the doing the most of the talking, and and Randy and Batista were coming along nicely. Hunter Hunter was a veteran. I will take credit for one thing, however, I did name them, which might not be that well known. I came up with the name for Evolution, so I did have a part of it kind of on the sly. Well, uh, you've had a lot of parts of a lot of things these days because this episode is sponsored by bluechew.com guys. Remember the days when you were always ready to go. Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up bluechew.com. That's blue. Like the color blue is going to bring you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take these anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you're ready whenever an opportunity arises. And if you could benefit from more confidence where it counts, bluechew.com is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Bluechew is prescribed online by licensed physicians. So you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door, all in a discreet package. They're made right here in the USA. And since bluechew.com prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And perhaps best of all, no more awkwardness. And right now we've got a special deal for our listeners. Just visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code ARN. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com and our promo code is ARN to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And they may have sponsored some things at your house as well. Maybe not. Was that directed to me? Well, just in my head, you've probably been popping a blue chew and, uh, taking the, hitting the old dusty trail. You know what? Nothing in this life is free. I thought, but now suddenly something is free. (laughs) So if you're going to get something this valuable for NO, and that means zero, and you have the opportunity to have a little hanky-panky, which is over-the-top, driven by Blue Chew, with your lady friend, seems like to me that is a win, win, win. Am I correct? No, it is a win. I'm a fan, and uh, we know Jim Ross is a fan. Every time I see him, he's got a blue tongue. So this stuff really works. I, too, am a fan. So... You can't go wrong. I don't know what you're waiting on. Let's get with it, fellas. The ladies are waiting. Check it out. Bluechew.com. Use that promo code ARN. Um, Unco Dion wants to know if you've had a chance to see Effie uh, at any independent shows yet. Effie is uh, a new character who's gained a lot of steam in the last two years or so. I mean, he's not new, but he's really popped off in the last couple of years. Uh, circulating on some of the more high profile independent wrestling matches. 
And to say he has a, uh, a unique gimmick is an understatement. Have you had a chance to catch any of his work yet? No. Why don't you fill me in? Well, it's, um, it's a very flamboyant character and he comes out to like, uh, a fan. You, you gotta see the presentation, just the ring entrance alone. You'll get it. And you'll be like, okay, got it. And, uh, man, he's got quite the fan base to the point that he's even got his own, uh, independent show WrestleMania weekend. Uh, so I'm sure lots of folks will be talking about that, but it's, uh, it's, he's a character and a half. And by the way, a tremendous wrestler. So if you're curious about this guy that we're talking about here, I go look him up at E F F Y lives. That's at F E lives. And, uh, you'll see, you'll get the character when you click on it. I'll say that. I will, uh, check him out. Yeah. I think and we will see what we have. And, uh, get back to you on that. Uh, when, uh, when you and I get together, when, uh, you're in uh, Huntsville next week for AEW, uh, I'll show you his match with Mance Warner from Nashville late last year. Uh, it was like a WCW tribute match of sorts. And, uh, there's some, some good wrestling in there, but there's also some, some fun, silly Gaga. that I think you'll get a kick out of. Very good. Very good. I can't wait. Uh, Jay wants to know who had the gimmick first barbarian or the road warriors. Uh, he says, uh, Jay says the gimmicks were so similar ring attire, face paint, big dudes, etc. Yeah. I think the road warriors were first. I think Barb came after that. I never looked at those guys in the same vein. Uh, their style was completely different. You know, and the road warriors are unique. They're going to be unique to all the world. As far as a tag team goes, you know, when you pull up the, the time capsule and look back at every team there ever was, they're going to stand out and be unique. And, um, Barb, who was a monster and, and, you know, did use the, the face paint and all was, his style was totally different. And, um, I just think they're recognized totally separately. I don't think anybody will group them in the same group. Uh, late to the nitro party writes in, in your opinion, who is the best wheel man in wrestling? Well, we've talked about that. Haku. If that's what we're talking about, who was the man? No wheel man. Like, you know, drive, wheel, wa- drive, well, oh, wheel man, wheel man. Well, that's me. <laughs> My God. I mean, who else would it be? I have driven every trip I've ever been on, whether it be as a wrestler talent or unless I was just some in somebody's personal vehicle, like we were around Atlanta traveling or something. Say I was with Dustin Rhodes in his truck. Any rent a car that's ever been rented, pretty much I did the driving just because I like to drive. I can't stand to sit over on the pasture seat or in the back and just do nothing. It just bugs me. And, you know, I don't want the, you know, the police to hear this, but I do sometimes hedge a little bit as far as the speed limit, which gets us a little more time in the hotel, a little more rest time. Gets us to the town, maybe leaving just a smidgen later, but I'm the wheel man. I, uh, I'm a bad wheel man. I got caught on my most recent trip to Florida hedging, not once, but twice on the same trip. Uh, so what, what I need some pro tips here. Uh, I've heard that the old cliche with state troopers in the South is nine, you're fine. 10, you're mine. 
do you adopt the nine over cruise control or, or, or what's the enforcer's tip here? Um, I try to do that where it looks like it's going to be one of those where it's dipping down from 70 to 55. It's kind of, you know, I find that those are the real speed traps. Um, it's, it is, I think it's eight actually, instead of nine that they will let you slide on. Sometimes I've, I've, you know, been written a ticket for five over, which I thought was put, you know, a little bit, you know, stiff, but, uh, the thing about your problem is, Conrad, is you've probably got one of those cars that'll do 200 miles an hour. And it's kind of hard to not speed when you're driving something like that. Try not, you know, owning a Testarossa or <laughs> Ferrari or whatever it is you drive. I don't own a Ferrari or a Testarossa. How about that top shelf BMW? Yeah, I do have, I do have a nice car. I'll, I'll give you that. Look at the speedometer. Yeah. What does it say for a maximum? 200. I rest my case. It's weird that you knew that without ever. I mean, you didn't know, but, but you know, so there you go. Uh, hey, I, I just anticipated it and I was correct. Yeah. You were not wrong. I don't know why people love asking you about road food, but they do late to the natural party says, what was your favorite thing to order at Sabatino's, uh, flair back in the day on his podcast said that he liked, uh, fruity DeMar. So lots of seafood and some angel hair pasta. What was the go-to for the enforcer? Yeah. You know, that was good. There was a fra Diablo, I think was another dish. You could start with their salads and the salad dressing, which was made in-house, was incredible. The bread, the garlic bread was big cloves of garlic. Our breath had to stink so bad during the 80s. Oh, my God. Thank God we all ate it or we wouldn't have been able to stay around each other. And I'm talking about the garlic. Clams Casino. God, I could eat five orders of those. They were all phenomenal. Um, you know, a lot of times we would just cut it off there and not get the main dish because you'd be so full after having that stuff that you just, you know, you'd end up taking your, your entree back and it would sit there during the night while you're sleeping. You wake up and you'd have a beautiful dish sitting there, but it was ice cold. So uh, anything you got was phenomenal, but that was my choice. Uh, this is a fun one for Mark. He says, since I'm sitting here on a day off watching happy days, what was WCW's definitive shark jumping moment? That context to the question here, uh, there is a term in television that's been popularized for a few decades now that when something was cool and now all of a sudden isn't. And we've just had too much of a good thing. And we've maybe wore out our welcome. The phrase is jumping the shark because there was an iconic episode where they're trying to get over just how cool the Fonz was where he literally was water skiing and jumped a shark. So was there a jump the shark moment in WCW that you can point to and say, man, we were rolling, but when that happened, it was over. I think when the NWO hit five members 
it was probably a tipping point heading down. You added Eric, which made four, correct? Was he the fourth one? No, I don't think so. I think he was a little later. I think um, the giant was the fourth one. There was giant, and then there was six, and then there was Million Dollar Man, and and then somewhere in there was uh, was Eric. So yeah, it was a f- it was a few in, but the gist is the the NWO got too big, too many members, too watered down. Yeah, I mean it. It really did, and I'm not sure exactly of the the number, but I knew there was a time that you were adding, you know, these mega stars, and I mean it was the NWO, it was Hall, Nash, Hogan. We had the Giant, you had X Pac. I think after that point, from a talent perspective, you might have started the trend where it wasn't quite that special. And unique, and I don't mean that the guys that they brought aboard weren't talented and weren't weren't great guys and all that. It just that was such a unique group at that time, and it was the things they were doing were were drawing a lot of money. I think each guy you added watered it down a little bit. So the first member, of course, Scott Hall, then Kevin Nash, then Hulk Hogan. Number four was Ted DiBiase. Number five was the giant. Number six was technically NWO sting. Number seven was six. Number eight was Vincent. Number nine was miss Elizabeth. Uh, and then number 10 was Eric Bischoff. Um, but yeah, after that, it does fall off a cliff. Buff Bagwell, Michael wall street, big Bubba Rogers, Scott Norton, Masahiro Chono. Uh, and then we're off to the races, but you know, when we're adding you know, dusty roads to the NWO. Like, I I don't understand that. So yeah, some of that definitely makes sense. I think a lot of people would point to the finger poke of doom and say, you know, either beating Goldberg or the finger poke of doom. And those are what two weeks apart that one of those would be the, aha, that's the, that's the moment. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't one of our greater achievements, that's for sure. Um, well, I mean, what are you going to say? Right. I think it, you know, the effect that it had and going back decades later and looking at it with a fresh set of eyes, you know, there were a lot of mistakes were made. That's for sure. Andy C wants to know who came up with the mixed match challenge. How did the talent feel about working to, uh, Another match those days that meant nothing for the storyline. Mixed match challenge. You're talking about lately. Yeah. So the- a couple of years ago, it would be it taped after raw or SmackDown, I believe. And it was just a guy and a gal teaming up a guy and a gal. And they were pushing it really hard that you would watch it on Facebook. Right. And I think Facebook paid a large chunk of money to the office. I think that was the first uh, thing that mattered and maybe the only thing that mattered because people would be leaving during the mixed match challenge and you had some unique pairings, but let's face it, you put, you know, uh, female talent with Braun Strowman. What is the, uh, what is the other team supposed to do? You know, it's, uh, it was just, there was a lot of questions on some of those 
you know, combinations that they put people together. And I don't know, to me, it was other than the fact that it put a lot of money, you know, from Facebook and the WWE account. And it's always good to, you know, be aware of all these these financial streams of cash that come in because it answers some questions when it appeared there were no answers to questions like why would they do that there's no possible reason they should be doing this and i'm not talking just mix max challenges but then you find out the revenue stream that's coming in from it and that helps ensure everyone's jobs and you got to be smart enough to know you know there's one central bank account i would think and all these revenue streams come in and if you've got a strong thriving wwe then Everybody's job is safe, and that sometimes is the most important thing. Really, a question I've never even thought to ask you comes to us from Brandon. He says, uh, how do you think John Cena's 16 title reigns measure up to Ric Flair, and should he ever break Ric Flair's record? Also, does that mean he title wins devalue the championship, in your opinion? No, but you've gonna you're gonna have to go back and you're gonna have to do a whole lot of studying and looking at each time there was a title victory, what were the circumstances within the company? How long it had been since there was another title switch and or another title victory and what were the angles when Rick was winning these world titles? Were they jump starting business within the company he was working for, were they a huge shot in the arm? Were they uh, slingshotting a guy to superstardom? And you look at John, his victories, you know, what was the story surrounding him? Did it benefit both parties? Did it benefit the company? There's so many things other than just looking at how many times somebody's won the world title. What were the circumstances? If they were company altering and they helped a handful of people, by doing that, well, then it was the right thing to do. If it was just doing it to be doing it, well, not so much. Let's uh, let's ask a question about Jimmy Garvin. This comes to us from Charles. He says, what are your thoughts on the Jimmy Garvin Great American Bash backstage video? I'm sure you've seen it. What did you think? I haven't seen it. Well, it's an old school clip that uh, it was just on his personal camcorder. And somewhere along the way, it got uploaded or released probably 15 years ago. And uh, it just shows guys behind the scenes sort of out of character. And you see things that you definitely shouldn't have seen. And I think it's 88. Like, uh, I think one of the road warriors is, uh, getting his blade ready and the whole deal. And the idea that that sort of made it out into the hands of fans. Uh, I think some people were, were fairly upset about that. And obviously by the time it was released or at least why more widely circulated, you know, the days of quote unquote kayfabe were in the rear view mirror, but still a lot of folks were maybe not thrilled. Well, I'm sure, I think this was the time he was quitting. Wasn't it quitting the business? He was already out. I mean, I think it came out way after, you know, he was done, but I'm sure when it was shot, it was with the idea that it was for his personal use. That's correct. There's only one way it could have gotten released then. If he had it in his possession, it was his, right? Yeah, he released it. Yeah, he did. He, he leaked. Okay. Well, there was a, you know, maybe there was probably a, uh, 
you know, you lost some trust by doing stuff like that. When you say this is for one thing, but it ends up being for another, it had to be for financial gain, I would think. And when you tell people in the locker, locker room is supposed to be sacred, um, that's the one place you're supposed to be able to go as a performer and be completely relaxed that you're in a safe environment, you're in a um, sealed environment, and uh, you can leave your valuables in that environment. You can say anything that you feel you need to say about anybody or anything in that environment. It, it's got to be the one sacred place that you can go to vent, um, blow off some steam, be relaxed, be safe, all those things. And somehow here in the story, it feels like that might have been violated to some point. Wayne wants to know, Arn, what was the deal with the donut grab from catering on live TV? Was it a spur of the moment thing or was it a rib on you? Um, are we talking about Fandango and his partner, the backstage thing? Yes. No, we were, uh, we were goofing and we we're doing a backstage thing and I was happy to be in those guys vignette. It was just one of those things that popped up that I thought might be cute. Fat guy grabbing two donuts. That's comedy. Uh, a couple more, but this one, uh, I can't wait to ask. I feel like you're going to have a fun answer. Charlie wants to know. Why did you stay in the WWE so long if you hated working there? Because nobody else was going to pay me what they were paying me, give me insurance, give me uh, a uh, retirement plan, pay for my rooms, pay for my cars, give me a per diem. Um, When there weren't any other companies out there offering that. Or there weren't any companies out there, period. You know, you come through a time after WCW disappeared, everything kind of drew up. Um, it's like uh, there were suddenly, there were no companies. And uh, that was a good, solid job with a good income. I have a family to take care of. And that preempted anything that went through my mind as far as <clears throat> my personal opinions about things. Uh, where I thought mistakes were being made, all that. The number one thing in my mind was, hey, if you get punched in the chin or slapped in the face, turn the other cheek. And that's a cliche, but that's absolutely true. And just uh, keep your job. And that's what I did uh, for 18, 19 years. It's amazing to me that sometimes I feel like entertainers are held to a different standard. And I guess I've been guilty of that too, but I had like a light bulb moment years ago when I saw world renowned actor, Christopher Walken doing an interview and whoever was, was interviewing him was very complimentary of all of his work, but then very critical of one movie in particular, like after you did all these great classics and showed just how talented and skilled and how wide your range was. Why in the hell would you do insert crappy movie here? And Walken just very matter of factly said, Oh, my wife wanted a new house. That was just like <laughs> the most practical duh. I think sometimes we as fans forget not everything is for the love of the game. Sometimes, man, we just got to pay fucking bills. So, uh, <laughs> to the person who asked the question, 
for the same reason you go to your job every day, you know, it's not, you're not getting everything you want like that every day there either, but you know, somebody has got to have insurance for those babies and we got to keep the lights on. So off to work we go. Well, yeah. And, and Hey, listen, I'm not saying poor, poor, pitiful me, but let's put it to you this way. Uh, there's not much demand for a beat up ex wrestler that's left-handed but his left hand is suddenly paralyzed uh, with a bad neck and a bad back. There's not a whole lot of uh, demand for that out in the working world that's going to pay you what you've been making in this industry. And, hey, trust me, I wasn't a guy that made top, top money, but I'm not complaining. I made good money, and I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut at least most of the time so that uh, my family was taken care of. And that was the most important thing and is the most important thing today. If you don't look after the family, you're a real dipshit. Well, it's worth mentioning too, that, uh, I tend to disagree that you're, you don't have marketable skills. Everybody's selling something. You're just a natural salesman. You just are used to selling backdrops and flying arm drags, but you could sell the shit out of anything else you wanted to sell too. Well, thank you for that. I, I do think I, I don't think I've ever been a charity case. I think I've earned my way right up until this day, uh, on as far as the business goes. So, if I had a spot, I think I've earned a spot, and uh, I will continue to earn my keep with AEW, which I'm thrilled to be a part of. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Sky's the limit, I think. Two more questions, and then we'll wrap this one up. We uh, we want to talk about John Cena. This one comes to us from Jackson McCoy. He says, John Cena's popularity grew organically, similar to Steve Austin's rise in WWE. But when the audience began to tire of Cena, wanting something new, how would you have booked a change in his character? Well, I don't think there's anything you can say about John's rise in popularity that would be close to what Austin's was because there were two different things. Austin was based on a couple of things. Number one, tremendous performer. Number two, looked apart. Maybe number three, which we could be number one, was he had the unique angle of, for the first time in this industry, being able to look and tighten a titan, Vince McMahon, now, the reason I say Titan is he was on top of this industry for the last 30-plus years. Look him right in the face, who was also his boss, and give him the finger and get away with it. And that is every working man or woman, I would imagine,'s dream in this world at one time or another to be able to look at your boss and not do it behind her or his or her back, but look them right in the face and flip them a bird and go, I don't believe I'll do that today. That was the Austin build and he got away with it. And he got away with it. And it was, it was the first time it had ever been done and it was done so well. And it was such a rare scenario that everybody got in his pocket. John's was different. John was built on the other side and it was based on kids and doing the right thing and saying the right thing. And he never faltered to this day. John will come out and he will tell you something and you can believe it. 
I do believe there was probably a spot somewhere along the way where you could have turned John heel. I'm not sure that how it would have been received. I know you would have heard a lot of kids' feelings, and you might have turned the public off on him in general. John wasn't a well-rounded talent in the fact that he would have possibly made a great heel by getting his ass kicked and and knowing what heels do, rolling out and running for your life and avoiding contact and ducking punches and covering up and all those things that heels do, lying, cheating, you name it. I don't think John had enough experience in that capacity to have been a top heel, and it was not his natural feel for the business anyway. He was probably suited just like he is right now. At least when John comes back in the door, whatever he tells you about the upcoming match, he'll probably have at WrestleMania. It will be something plausible that you can believe. And the kids will be thrilled, and uh, life will go on. Well, life was going on after Starcade 86, and the Red-Eyed Wolf has a question that I know you're going to have a hilarious answer for. How much ribbing went on after Flair suplexed Nikita and Nikita's penis came out? Tommy Young just popped it right back in for him. (laughs) Oh, that's way too much information. You saw this, right? You guys had to be ribbing when you saw that or heard about it. Yeah, I think I think everybody had a pretty good laugh. Uh, <laughs> those are the, those are the kind of things that you never thought you would see. Uh, and for a guy that was so serious about his gimmick and and uh, the way he was perceived and being a killer and all those things, you know, which I respect. I mean, he protected his gimmick. Let's face it. You know, Nikita changed his name. He was always talking in character. You know, I, I respect that part about him. A lot of guys that, you know, it would offend them. But uh, to know that he's the guy that, number one, is upside down. Number two, his nutsack has fell down around his chin. <laughs> you got to find some humor in that, don't you? You have to. <laughs> so I think everybody might have had a little bit of a giggle at his expense. If you're uh, not in the loop. Just go to YouTube and just go, just check it out. Flair suplexes Nikita out of his trunks. And, uh, the first time I heard about this, I thought, no, cause I'd seen the tape before, but hell, I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't looking there and just, just, I was, I was oblivious. And then when everybody was like, no, 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 seriously, how did you not see this? You can't unsee it. So be careful if you go to YouTube and you take a look at that. Cause it's, it's real. It's a thing. And, uh. Yeah, I can't believe it even made it on the Crockett VHS, but apparently it did. And I just feel like in the locker room, you guys were, you had to be relentless with both Nikita and Tommy Young. But Tommy's in a bad spot because he feels like he's got to protect the boys in the business here. Literally the business. Uh, It's just hilarious. What a great moment. Well, maybe Tommy should get one of our shirts that says, I am in charge of pecker checking. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of great shirts over at orangeshirts.com. If you haven't already, check them out. A-R-N shirts.com. Uh, my favorite is still Arn Anderson, what a wrestler. I don't like what a burger, but I like this shirt. 
You heard our Disco Inferno story. We've got an exploding disco ball on there. The human hat rack shirt. Uh, the television t- championship shirt, which is great. Probably the best shirt, really, is the classic Arn Anderson established 1982 and the Enforcer uh, in cursive writing below. We've got Toot Toot, which I've seen a lot pop up on social media. The rumor is next month, or maybe the month after, Arrive, Spine, Buster, Leave is going to be on a national television program. You can get an officially licensed Four Horsemen t-shirt, uh, a Super Olympia shirt, lots of great stuff. Go check it out at orangeshirts.com. And stay tuned next week. We're going to have another Arn show here for you. And I'm pretty excited about this one because, you know, we've covered a lot of stuff, uh, from the more modern era last week, it really blew up. Everybody was excited for us to talk about Royal rumble 2015 because it was so recent, but we're getting on our way back machine next week. And we're going to talk about super brawl two, And, uh, we'll briefly run down the card there, uh, because this was I'm maybe at the, the peak of my fandom here. Uh, and, and the match on top is really what had all of my attention. It's sting and Lex Luger for the world title. We've also got Rick rude and Ricky steamboat for the U S belt. You're teaming with your old friend, Bobby Eaton to take on the Steiner brothers for the world tag team titles. We've got Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes taking on Steve Austin and Larry Zabisco. We've got Barry Windham and uh, or I'm sorry, Van Hammer and Z man against Ricky Morton and Vinny Vegas feel really bad for Ricky on that one. We got Ron Simmons and cactus Jack, Terrence Taylor and Bagwell flying Brian and Jushin Liger. What a show. I mean, when we start with flying Brian and Jushin Liger, and then we got the Steiners and you and Bobby Eaton, man, y'all are pulling out all the stops on this one. You know, hearing that back, that's a pretty damn good card with a couple of exceptions. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of stinkers in there, but top to bottom, I mean, Wyndham and Dustin and Austin all in the same match. That's outstanding. Yeah, it is. You better believe it. So stay tuned next week. Go ahead and watch it in advance of our show. Super brawl two. It went down on February 29th, 1992. We're going to do another hashtag ask on anything after that. And then you want to talk recent. How about elimination chamber 2018? That's what's coming your way on the 17th. And we'll round out the month on the 24th with another hashtag or ask on anything. But right now, we're going to do something we've never done. And let's welcome to the show, a great friend of the show, wrestling fan, just like you and I, and uh, our biggest advertiser right now, Mr. Steven Singer from IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven, how are you, man? I am doing great. How are you doing today? Man, I'm so glad you're here. You're here to save us all from looking like buffoons on Valentine's Day. I see why all the other jewelers hate you, though. You've made Valentine's Day an absolute no-brainer. You're getting a real long stem American beauty rose. That's been deeply dipped in pure 24 karat gold. How are you doing this for just $59? Well, we are the world's biggest seller of gold dipped roses. And we started selling them in 1980, believe it or not. So we've really perfected it over the years. And we have uh, several factories that make them, um, that we have, you know, make them just for us. Uh, each one specializes in different colors each year so we can get the demand um, and do everything. And, and this year, as you mentioned, we have this new rose. It's a rose gold, gold rose. In other words, it's all 24 karat, but it's rose gold. It's like pink in colors, like kind of like uh, if your wife or your girlfriend has a phone that's pink or, or rose gold, this will match it perfectly. And um, like you said, this is the world's biggest no brainer. Cause they started only 59 bucks. And if you don't know what to get for Valentine's day, 
Christmas, birthday, anniversary, Mother's Day, whatever it is, for you know, way under a hundred bucks, you can get a, a gift that's going to last forever. And great gifts, you know, don't have to be expensive. And uh, I have guys that thank me. You know, guys love and you know, giving diamonds and things because they last forever. But this is something that lasts forever and like way under a hundred bucks, and you look like a hero. That's exactly right. And what's cool about this is it's going to last forever and it's versatile. So, I mean, even if you did go get her, you know, another pair of earrings, well, she's going to have to pick and choose when she wears it or what she wants to do. This is cool because this can sit in the living room. It can sit in the bathroom. It can sit on her dresser at her office, at her desk, at home, wherever I've gotten my grandmother one. I've gotten them for my mom. I've gotten them for my wife. Everybody loves this because it's a unique gift. And by the way, it sure does beat regular flowers that are going to be dead in your trash can a week later. This lasts forever. For sure. It never wilts. It doesn't need water. Uh, this is a lifetime long gift. And I can't believe it's only $59. Go take a look at this. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's great about it. It looks like a lot more. Like, yes. you know, I had people, when we first started selling these for 59 bucks, um, people said, you know, you, you must have made a mistake. This is a solid gold rose. It must be 5,900, you know? And they said, you must be missing some zeros. I said, no, it's a real rose and it's dipped in 24 karat gold and it's only $59 because it looks like so much more of a gift. But like you said, I'm a guy, you know, I'm always looking for something to give my wife, give my daughter, give my mom. And I love gifts that I get credit for all the time. Something that doesn't melt, you know, candy's great. Real flowers are great, but you know, they either end up on your hips or in the trash in a week, right? This is something that you're going to get credit for all the time, and it's just a big no-brainer. And we've, i got to thank you because we've had so many wrestling fans call and thank us that say they're fans of yours, that they follow you on your broadcasts, they follow you on social media, and that you recommended this, and because you recommended they got it. And, you know, to be honest with you, we have so many people that get 24-karat gold diff roses for a girlfriend, for a wife, and then they'll come back and get diamond studs or a diamond bracelet and they become lifelong customers and lifelong friends and wrestling fans are just like that they're very very loyal and you know they they take people at their word and uh, we make it real easy because it's a no-brainer it comes in a beautiful gift box we'll ship it for free we'll ship it to you or ship it to the recipient you know we give you a beautiful a custom gift written in script, a beautiful gift message. So you can write whatever you like um, to your sweetheart, to somebody for Valentine's Day, to your wife, your girlfriend, your daughter, whoever it is. And you can, um, if you don't know what to say, we have a beautiful list of that you could pick the little uh, gift message and the love note that you want to write to them. And they love it. They save the love note. They save the packaging. And they put it, like you said, on a desk, on a table, dining room table, uh, at work, in a bedroom, in the, uh, you know, in the kitchen. They just love it because anywhere you put real flowers, they put these. And they are real. They're just dipped in gold. And they look great all the time. But here's what's cool about getting regular flowers delivered. You, the pro tip is you have it delivered to your wife's office because yes, she wants the flowers, but what she really wants is for everybody that she works with, all of her friends and family and coworkers to know that she got flowers. Now here's the bad part of real flowers. They're going to be dead in a week. This thing, everybody who comes to her office for years will say, oh my God, how cool is this? It is the ultimate conversation starter. And by the way, you get the credit every time. And it was only $59. You just can't beat the wow in this. Don't take my word for it. You got to see it for yourself. Go to IHateStevenSinger.com. And by the way, there's never a need for a promo code. Just go to IHateStevenSinger. 
Find the rose that fits you, whether it's yellow gold, rose gold, white gold, platinum, whatever color you want, and it's going to be to you just in time for Valentine's Day. Starting at just 59 bucks, it doesn't get any easier. Yeah, get it now because a lot of different, you know, we always have something. We make hundreds of thousands, but we always run out of certain colors, whether it's a new color or something's really hot that year. So order it now. We'll ship it to you for free. We'll put the beautiful gift message, and you're taken care of. And by the way, they have a lifetime guarantee on them as well. How do you beat it? Check it out. I hate stevensinger.com. And by the way, Steven Singer is a real wrestling fan, just like me and you. He listens to the show every week. Uh, support. I one sure of us. do. Go to I hate stevensinger.com. You'll be glad you did. Thanks so much. Happy Valentine's day. Great talking to you. Thanks man. Appreciate it. So there you have it guys, man. It's a pro tip. It looks like it's worth $590. It feels like a misprint. Go check it out for yourself. I hate Steven singer, but really appreciate your support here on our show. We're just getting going on this show. If you could do us a favor and tell your friends about the show, man, we sure would appreciate it. Maybe you just want to introduce your friend to the show with a clip. One of your favorite clips from the show, go to orange show on youtube.com and click the subscribe button and the notification bell, find your favorite clip from the show, share it with a friend. And if they like it, man, tell them to follow us on Twitter at the orange show and follow us on YouTube, orange show on youtube.com. We're really focusing on growing our YouTube. We're going to give you some fun milestones. When we hit certain goals, we're going to crank out some more bonus content for you, but we really appreciate the show working really hard to keep the show fresh. And I like this every other week as a hashtag ask Arn anything. It really lets you guys sort of dictate what we're talking about. And uh, that makes for a good show. Uh, and we hope we had a good show for you this week. Looking forward to being back with you next week, talking about super brawl two. So hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it and, uh, don't forget to tell your friends Arn every Tuesday, right here on Westwood one. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.